listening to Listen, a show where me and a guest rank and list things in pop culture, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear my guest today. I was just talking to him off mic about uh, how long I've been a fan of his music, and and this is actually, uh, we've actually done a handful of podcasts together over the years, so very excited to have on today Bear Reinhardt. You'll know him as the lead singer of the Grammy award-winning band Need to Breathe. He also releases music under the name Wilder Woods, and Need to Breathe actually has a brand new live album, Live from the Woods Volume 2. It's available for pre-order now. It's coming out in April. Bear, welcome to List It, man. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate so, it. Well, dude, hey, I'm really excited about the the new live album and for you to talk through uh, uh, some tunes. But, um, you know, you guys are an artist who, you know, released an album actually last year, and which is a really interesting time to release an album as an artist where you can't get out on the road. But the, the response has been incredible. It's such... I feel like the 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 latest album is such a um, uh, uh, evolution sonically. Tell me a little bit about um, you know uh, out of body. What kind of went into it, and what it's been like having to promote an album without being able to play like any kind of traditional live shows this year. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of changes for us in the last year or two. It feels like we're starting over in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, yeah, I think uh, my brother, you know, had left the band right before kind of we were making that record or a little bit before. Um, so it was the first time we'd made a record without him. Um, and that's scary. You know, you just kind yeah. of like, it's it, all, the band is all about chemistry and all those things that you just think, Oh crap, are we going to be able to do this? Yeah. Um, and so I think we went into that really like in a humble way and I, that really served us well over the long run. I feel like, you know, we, we didn't have our, like some crazy expectations, but we also knew we had to, um, kind of define a new sound for us yeah. and figure it out. And so that's really, I feel like how the record kind of became about was like, okay, how are we going to do this? What, what sort of collaboration team do we want to bring in? Um, I had moved to Nashville three and a half years ago yeah, and mainly was doing the Wilder Woods record and writing outside the band. So I, we hadn't made one here really. Um, so I used a lot of the friends that I met over those three years yeah. and the co-writes and producers and different stuff that I thought, you know, would, would fit well with our team. And, um, it was cool. It's, it's really weird trying to put a record out in <laughs> this yeah. time, especially, I mean, I think every band is different probably like where you, but we obviously sort of, uh, you know, are mostly known for being on the road, the yeah. live band. Yeah. And so it's like, if you have a new album out and you have nowhere to play it, yeah. and, you know, all the TV shows even that you do are like, you know, filmed in your room somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been really tricky, you know, and, and I think all of us have really just been chomping on the bit to, to go out and play those songs. Um, and we took the time to just be creative, yeah. honestly. So yeah, we wrote a ton of songs and actually have been working on new music, you know, oh, wow. after that. So yeah, it's going to be, I think it'll be the busiest year we've ever had as a band. That's awesome, man. And, and, you know, one thing that kind of jumped out about this album is like you said, you guys are known as a live band. I've got to see you guys a handful of times over the years, but this album compared honestly to a lot of them in the catalog stands alone as just an, inc- I mean, all of them are great studio albums, but this one has, you know, we, we ordered this like high end kind of speaker for the house. To, it's right. COVID you're trying to buy, you know, you can't go anywhere. You can't listen to live music. So we, we bought some stuff. And so I've been listening to a lot of albums with pre- pretty, you know, good fidelity and man yeah. out, out of body. It's, it, it, I think it's because it has so many, like, it's such a sonically dynamic album. You know, there's cool sounds, different songs. There's some that have that sort of, that anth that you know they sound like anthems there's some that yeah. you know have cool collaborations it really holds up just as a studio album even if it's been Thanks, a while man. for people to be able to till they can hear it live yeah i appreciate that man i think I, it, it was fun we we um the guy who the engineer that we we brought along with who had done the the wilder woods records named conrad snyder from nashville um is the best engineer i've ever worked with in terms of um he's a great dude so a total total hippie yeah. you know space cadet guy yeah um, but also just great, great. He gets great sounds in a hurry, which I think is big for us. A band that's like old, like us just can't, you know, yeah. after two or three passes, we're like, Hey man, that's the best one you're going to get. <laughs> that's um, the key for, yeah. Market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, I think somebody like that who kind of gets that flow and it's like, wants to run with us and, yeah. and, um, was really cool. And then we, we, have, uh, since added Tyler Burkham as a guitar player. Yeah. Um, which, and he's insane. I've been a fan of his for a long time and we had toured together when he was with Matt Carney and, 
Um, so he just, I think, brought a lot to that, to the table. I, I don't think, we've had get to our players play on records before, but never like the same guy. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So we kind of lean on him a little bit and, and um, yeah, and then two great producers that we used. I got them to team up. They had never done it before. Um, it's got Casey Cooley and Jeremy Latito. And Latito, I don't know if you remember, there was a band called Leagues. Yeah, and, yeah. And Jeremy Latito was a drummer and Tyler was a guitar player. Yeah, band, yeah, yeah. Um, so we had them and, and Jeremy played a little bit of the drums and Kaysen has done some crazy good records with me. And, um, but anyway, it was just a really good team. It was the first time I think we've ever made a record in all these years and 20 years where there wasn't an argument. Oh, you know, wow. it was, it was, uh, not one, you know, just, yeah. a, and it, that's a real tricky thing to get. Um, and I think you can make great stuff when, I mean, anybody can, when there's enough trust to go like, I'm going to, I've got this idea. I really want to push it and sell it. But then when everybody doesn't buy it, you can back off of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have enough trust to be like, Hey, you're listening to this. Right. And this is my idea. So, um, I think that went a, la- a long way for us. Yeah, for sure. And, and w- what's interesting too is, you know, I did a, a kind of a, a deep dive back into the catalog uh, the last couple of days and how there are different eras of your guys' sound. And there's certainly been different evolutions, uh, you know, different inspirations pulled in. But it's funny you say that, that there wasn't sort of that creative tension. Like it seemed like it was a pretty fluid process yeah. because some of the albums it, from the past, you can hear the tension in the music, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a grittiness, that, you know? Like I was, as I was putting notes, I was like, oh, The Reckoning has a grittiness to it you know what i mean like you can almost hear you guys working things out sonically when you're also probably working things out relationally you know did you you know do you think you know with with you guys everyone kind of being in the pandemic and quarantine and then also taking some time to work on the solo project with wilder woods do you feel like that space has allowed you guys as like a as a band to kind of put some of that creative tension aside and kind of lean into just that like you said Hey man, that's the take. Let's do it. Let's run with this quick yeah. run and gun. I think so. I think um, you know, I it was it was a good experience for me, for me to do the side project because a I got to work with a ton of people that I've always wanted to, and that's always inspiring. Just new creativity around, but also just kind of like I did that record really quickly. The side, you know, the Waterwoods yeah. record, and so um, it was like you can do it faster than we've been doing it. You yeah, know? <laughs> you yeah. Don't have to yeah. spend a whole year on this thing. You yeah. Know? Um, and so I think there was some of that. And also I just, I really had a great time like making things different than I had. I, I definitely think that mattered when I came back to the need to breathe stuff because clearly the need to breathe stuff is me, you yeah. know, it's yeah. like, it's a, it's probably, you know, it's what I've grown up playing and, and had such a big hand in. Um, it felt fresh again to me and, and like what I wanted to do. Yeah. And there was a couple of years there, I think where, I was kind of on the fringe of some of the soul stuff and I was putting that on need to breathe records and our fans were like, well, (laughs) that sucks. We don't care about that. (laughs) We won't need to breathe, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think there's an element to that that was just really nice for me to get not out of my system, but kind of go like flex that muscle a little bit and be like, look, these things are different things and, and that's okay. Well, well, dude, I'm, I'm excited to take a deep dive into the record. So if people listen to an episode, we recently had John Foreman on, and and what we did with him is he picked uh, five of his favorite songs. You're actually going to do five of your favorite records we're going to talk through. And between yeah. them, I, I highlighted, I'm going to have to whittle my list down on the on the fly, because like I said, man, you guys got a deep list, but I, a deep catalog. So I'm going to throw five songs of your uh, from your career, and we'll kind of talk okay. through them. Uh, but let's go ahead and start off with with your number. F- and they don't have to be ranked. Sometimes it's fun to rank. I, that's sort yeah. of the contrast of the show is that it right. makes arguing on the internet fun because these arguments have zero stakes. So if you put one at five and one at one, no one's feelings going to get right. Out. Exactly. Exactly. No worries. Yeah. It was fun for me to think about it. Cause I, I think, um, there's a lot of ways I could make that list. You know, I think yeah. for me, um, I tried to make it mostly, um, on the records that inspired me the most, Yeah, you know, sort of changed my musical direction when I heard them or, or, or maybe even lasted this whole time, you know? Yeah. Um, so my number one record is Tom Petty Wildflowers. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, and and I think it's not you know it's one of those records that it's as sonically as important as it is lyrically mm. and as it is everything else. I think it was a, in my opinion, it is still the standard like of a live take band record. Yeah. The guitars sound insane, and they're not. It's not like a million guitars stacked up or whatever. Yeah. We actually um, we did a record, um, the Outsiders record. Actually, some of that we did with this guy. Um, who had worked on that, Jim Scott and, and out in LA. And he was the engineer for that. And I was like, I want the guitar sound from, you know, Honeybee or whatever. Yeah, on that yeah. record. And he's like, well, you got to get the heartbreakers in here. <laughs> like, <laughs> just call like, them up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just call. He was like, I literally put a 57 on that amp and that was it. Yeah. So, 
Um, That kind of blew me away a little bit. I think we've always gone back to that and been like, man, you know, when it gets a little bit out of control in terms of production, it's always nice to kind of listen to a record like that and go like, that's how you do it. Yeah, that's it's put in there and thoughtfully and well. Well, and it's interesting that it's a Tom Petty record, too, because I feel like a lot of, you know, what you guys kind of bring to the table is this, you know, it's a very artful expression of the of a very american experience especially sure. you know as you know american songwriters you guys are from south carolina so there's sort of that 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 southern uh influence but like you know tom petty was from florida so not too far right. from you guys and but also well traveled and experimented you know he had records where he's you know got a sitar and, and different right. things yeah, but totally. you know wildflowers is if i remember i think it's the last one or one of the last ones rick rubin did and i remember yep. listening to he has a podcast with malcolm Glass well called broken records where they right, kind of yeah, talked about listen, yeah. where he was talking about some producers they'll spend all day just tracking drum and it's like okay we just got to get snare and it's just mic'd up right. the drummer's wearing but he would mic it up essentially you're listening to a live performance when you listen to wildflowers you yeah. know you, you had mentioned earlier that you know you guys are kind of learning to record quicker what is as an artist what does it do for you to be able to get in the studio with the band and play like you're playing live versus kind of of doing the, the bedroom kind of tinkering style of production. Yeah. I mean, I obviously like both at times, but I think, I think momentum is something I've learned over the years is like the most important thing to keep. Hmm. Because if, if everybody is, if you get to that drum day and everybody's just sitting around in the lounge, you know, yeah. it, it totally ruins, you know what I mean? The whole, the vibe and all the ideas. Yeah. And I think when you're going quick, I mean, this seems simple, but it like I, we, we learned it so much again on this record that if you're, if everything is malleable, when you go in there, like nothing set in stone, the whole band's here. So we can recut the whole thing. If we want to, if we want to take it up a couple beats or a different key or whatever, we can always do that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, I think not being scared to do that and kind of being ready to do it, um, has, is the biggest thing because the, in my opinion, great ideas happen when I bring a song to the band and I'm like, we're playing through it. And they're like, what if you push this? I'm like, oh, that's cool. It's like, you know, there's, you're not thinking about it too much. Yeah. Whereas once it's on the, you know, tape or whatever, the computer, you're like, oh, should we move that? Let me listen yeah. to it this way and this way. You know I mean? There's too many options. Yeah. So I like that fourth limitation of, you know, of going in there quickly. You know, when I think of that album, obviously I think of the title track, but I think the song that uh, from Wildflowers that jumps out to me is You Don't Know How It Feels. Mainly, yep. it has that such an iconic, you know, kick, snare, boom, boom, cock, boom. Yeah. And they just build around maybe the simplest thing you can possibly build <laughs> off, which is yeah. a beat that someone can walk into a guitar center and never touch a drum set and, and you I'll know, play serviceably that. Yeah. play that. What song? But it works because, like you said, it was a self-imposed limitation. You know, it was, yeah. let's get to the heart of the song and let that be the thing. Well, let me get to the point. Let's roll. Another joy and turn the radio to laugh. I'm too alone to be proud. And you don't know how it feels. You don't know how it feels to be me. What other songs on Wildflower or moments on Wildflowers or, or really kind of Tom Petty's uh, catalog kind of jump out to yeah. you? I mean, obviously, I mean, just he's just a songwriter. That's what I loved about Tom Petty. I've always thought like they just they never did things for no reason. It was always, you know, yeah. like they they even on their, their documentaries, like don't bore us, get to the chorus. Yeah. Um, I think our band has always sort of bought into that. We always were like, why take a left turn? Just because, you know. Um, it was always like, if you're going to do it, do it for some emotional reason and not for just being different. Yeah. Um, and so I've always loved that about his writing. Um, and obviously it's standing the test of time. Half these songs, I mean, you play free falling right now on any bar, any bar in the world, yeah. you know, it's yeah. like people yeah. are into it. Um, I think, I think the guitar tones were probably the biggest thing in the acoustic and the electric. So on wildflowers, the, the, the strumming pattern, the way those, those acoustics are mic'd every time I get into a place and we're doing that. And which is, it seems like all the time yeah. I'm always pulling that up and being like, man, we should try to get it to sound a little bit like that. Yeah. You know? And there's like, they double one, there's a 12 string in there. So like, there's some stuff in there that's like, that we try to rip off as much as possible. Um, and then just the straight, like electric, like the Fender twin sound yeah. that they got on, on honeybee is just so sick. And then later on mojo and that stuff is like, it's just, 
um, that it's to me is unbeatable. Every amp guy or guitar guy has their like whole setup that they like or the yeah. people to me, that's the one. Now, now, one of the great compliments I heard about Tom Petty, you, you know, when, unfortunately, you know, when people were kind of doing their remembrances after he passed a couple of years ago was as a lyricist, he wrote some of the best opening lines in music. You know, she's a good girl, yeah. loves her mama, loves Jesus in America <laughs> too. It's like, I'm in, I'm in. It's a, that's, that's great. But I also feel like you bring that a lot of that to the table where it might not be the same jump to the chorus, but you know, right, you know, you know, right away in a song and we'll, you know, I'll go ahead and jump to one of my number five, a song that I feel like, you know, you just pull someone in right away. And, and this was a point in your guys' career where I kind of saw you guys do a little bit of an evolution and it's the title track off of 2016's Hard Love, which, you know, as someone who's listened to your music for a long time, when that sound hits, I'm butchering it here. Chandler, go ahead and play a clip in post for like... But it has that same quality where it's like, you know, from that second, uh, look, man, as a listener, I'm in. It, it took me. There's something interesting. But as I was going through a lot of your songs, it seems there isn't a lot of kind of that artificial build that some artists will do that like right. swelling. It's like, no, 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 I, I'm I'm coming into it. How intentional is that? And how inspired was that by artists like Tom Petty who do just kind of grab you by the collar right away? Yeah, I think I think the songwriting part, definitely. We've always I mean, when you write songs on acoustic guitar, there's not a lot of like I mean, there's some Zeppelin and stuff like that. You think of like a long guitar intro. But yeah. most of the songs that are written like that are pretty simple, like going in. I mean, I would say almost always we're making the intro after the fact yeah you know we've written the song now we're building the song in and now it's like what do we how do we start this thing yeah <laughs> you know? yeah and so i think there's an element to that and and i i've always liked that and we talk a lot about that first line mm. um I, the the wasteland is one of my favorite songs that i have ever written and I'm, I'm the first one on the line to die is the, is the first line. <laughs> it, it, I, I, it's funny, dude. I'm not just saying, I wish you could see my notes. I have that as one of the songs I wanted to talk about. And I have that line on there. It, oh, it, 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 yeah. And, and so, you know, go, going back to hard love for a second, because that one too, trading punches with the heart of darkness. It's like, good Lord. Yeah. Okay. This is, <laughs> this, this isn't just like, this is, has ambitions. Like this is, yeah. this is a really a song that, you know, wants to pull you into kind of an emotional place. Hard Love, you know, it was 2016. Sonically, it's a little bit different sound. I do feel like it was a grab you by the collar type of record in a lot of ways with lyrically, sonically, thematically. Where were you guys at as a band in 2016 and what kind of inspired the direction that that song, because that song really kind of sets the tone. Obviously, it's the title track, but really sets the tone for what you guys were trying to do there. It does. Yeah, I think um, there was a couple of things going on. I mean, one is I would say every record that we make is a either or it's Mm -hmm. a, you know, we make a we make kind of a pop like you know, record and then we make sort of a not pop record. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, it's always some reaction to like, man, we really want to make a song that sounds bigger or sounds more, you know? Um, and so hard love was like that. It was a lot, it was very crafted in the sense of like, we spent a lot of time rewriting the lyrics like that hard love. I think we probably wrote, you know, seven or eight verses for that song and landed on one, sang them all, you know, Zach, it was that kind of process where it's like, we really want to have that sort of immediate, um, you know, punch. And also synths were something that like, I mean, I was a purist when I was coming up in my, the first couple records, yeah, I was yeah. very like, I will never sing without a guitar in my hand. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. That's for some like eighties bands I'm not into. Um, and then, you know, you just kind of like get older and you're like, Oh, well I, I do kind of like that band. I yeah. Do like this, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that we just kind of loosen that a little bit. And one of the things that we felt like we had done on other records is like outsiders we had done it was the first time we'd play banjo and stuff yeah. i think people assumed that we were good at banjo but we weren't yeah. we just bought those and like open tuned them and played them yeah um and so i think there was something really fresh about us learning the instrument almost as we were writing songs on those records so we attempted to kind of make the synth kind of that thing for yeah. hard love yeah 
Um, and you know, I, when I listen back to it, I, I cringe some on that record really? because yeah, because there's some things on there that are like that we synth is like technology, you know, so it's always getting better in some yeah. ways, <laughs> but there's all this, there's some great old stuff that we did not have then. So I think in the era that that synth was coming out there, it wasn't as like readily available to have a million cents in your room or, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, they didn't even made like the new Mellotrons, like you had to have an old school Mellotron yeah. then and stuff like that. So I think it was a lot of that in my opinion when I listened to it I'm like oh I think we could improve that sound if I could do that again yeah um, but I think that's what kind of went into it being a fresh thing for us. Yeah. Well, it definitely, I, I you know, I, I don't have a, st- a studio ear, but I was like, oh man, it still holds up. I still like that record. Nice. All, right, all right. So yeah. what do you, so you got wildflowers by Tom Petty at, at number one. What, what, what do you got uh, next on your list? I've got Coldplay rushes above the head. Um, oh, wow. it's, you know, I, I think, um, I, I, you, everybody would probably contemplate whether they put Coldplay on a list, except that <laughs> they just write so, their songs are so good. Yeah. It's insane. Um, and I, I think in that time, um, that was opening us up to stuff. We were a fan of all this, um, like, Brit pop is probably not the good way to say it, but there was this band called Cashmere we loved mm-hmm. back then, and then Travis we were yeah, like huge yeah. fans of. And Coldplay, when I first heard it, was a little like on the pop side for me, and I, and I was just like, I don't think I dig this. Like yeah. Yellow, I was just in college, I was like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then I went and saw them uh, on the next tour, in probably I don't know three thousand people or something like that, and the charisma that they had, um, that Chris Martin specifically had was just was what sold me on that band and then it's kind of like oh those songs are insane that he's playing and they really work in these big rooms i think that's something that the band has always like not shied away from like yeah. we want to be playing in big places yeah like we feel like these songs are meant to like fill this big space um and so i i just think that we learned from that like man you can have a great song and you know it doesn't have to be um I don't know. It doesn't have to be straight pop in order to get to that level, you know? Yeah. Well, and anyone who's seen Coldplay realized that, yeah, <clears throat> what they could be playing a, you know, 500 person theater and they're, you're, they're, you know, you see about the 930 club and you, you, right. you might as well be playing Wembley stadium the way yeah. that they, they approach it. But it's interesting. You picked a Russia bud when, when, because I feel like a lot of bands have, I feel like recently, and maybe this is just from, you know, anecdotally, but I feel like recently there's sort of been like this rediscovery of X and Y by, yeah. by some young artists who, you know, that one's certainly more of a stadium album. You know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. one point that it sounds like uh, the final track, uh, Fix You, was written right. to be played in a stadium where oh. you can run down a runway. But but A Rush of Blood is a more delicate album in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, God Put a Smile on My Face, you know, um, uh, Clocks is another. Yeah. It's cool. Da-na-na-na. But yeah. it, it, there's also... It, it, there's, like I said, sort of like this d- delicate intricacy to it. What yeah. what kind of made that record stand out compared to some of the other? Coldplay? I think I think for me, it, yeah, that that's that represents a thing where they were still a band. Like those songs got larger than life, but yeah. it felt very like all the pianos are upright pianos, and you can hear all the hammers. And every time I put that record on, I also am amazed by how small it is. Yeah, and I think really good records are are like that where. You listen back, you know, I was listening to like that Dolls track of the day, uh, When My Time Comes or whatever. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I was like, man, that record is really small sounding. But yeah. because I've heard it now live a couple of times and you hear the audience sing back, it seems like some epic masterpiece. I think that's that's the kind of the charm, in my, in my opinion, of what Coldplay was doing on those first couple of records. I want to jump to to the next one on my list, and it's actually the bonus track off of Out of Body because I just feel like it has such a cool collaboration. And the song is Who Am I, which is another kind of a different direction. Not totally departure for you guys, but stylistically, it, it's certainly fresh for you guys. So, you know, yeah. here, here's a clip for people. While I'm on this road, you take my hand somehow. You really love who I really you 
but what I love, I love about the the album standard, the 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 track that's on the album. But when I heard the L King version and her vocals, that you know, it totally changed the entire feel of the song for me because she has that kind of smoky. Um, yeah. You know, I think the the song is is not like overly polished, but it certainly sounds like, hey, this is a sonically intentional song. But then you kind of have her kind of smoky vocals. What is it about, you know, finding the right collaborators that can make a song come to life, like what you guys were able to do with um, yeah. with that track? I think, I mean, it's kind of like production. I would say a lot of times you are thinking sort of in opposites in a way. Uh, mm. You know, you're kind of like, what what would make tons of sense on this? Oh, this. Well, let's not do that. Let's do something else. Yeah. Still want it to work. Obviously, it doesn't need to be like this. So I think with her, I, I think... I, I, if I'm being totally candid, like when I brought that song in, um, I kind of felt unsure of it in mm. a way. It was one that had to grow on me a little bit. Yeah. And the other guys who are normally like, there's, there's always cred guys in the band. We've got a couple that are like, you know, yeah. like, I, they're like, I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's nice. They were, they were both like, no, I love this. I want to, you know, they were really, and I was like, it kind of gave me the confidence to just sort of step into it. Um, and I think, I think that's probably the reason it was like, let's, let's go with somebody we know who, you know, obviously she had a big pop hit L did, but, um, but really is not known for that. I wouldn't yeah, say, you know, yeah. got the raspy voice and, and writes really cool records. And, and, um, so I, I'm glad that worked out. It felt, it felt to me like the right thing to do to kind of, to, like you're saying, take the sheen off of it a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because I feel like this album really, uh, kind of helped solidified what I kind of consider sort of the late era need to breathe, which thematically, lyrically, I kind of see as a lot of songs about grace and grit, you know, uh, yeah. you know, it, where there's an acknowledgement where I feel like there are some songs that I, that I, you have written in the past that dealt you know, directly with things like shame and, uh, you know, doubt and not, not in a negative way, but, you know, right. but it seemed like the late stage starting, you know, starting with hard love, but really kind of moving into, uh, out of body really is it is an embrace of grace of being like, look, man, this kind of is what it is in, in, in I am who I am, you know, right. I mean, quite literally, you know, at yeah. different times, yeah. what, what kind of made you as a lyricist want to go in that direction? I think, I think it's always personal. I mean, I think it's, it's probably even unintentional in some ways. I think as we've gotten older, I think we're a little more self-assured. Yeah. Um, I think there was a time when, you know, if I would be on an interview like this, I would worry about what records I was going to say, or, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, we were humble Southern kids, you know, we're, we're, we were coming up and it was like, people thought we were cool. And we were like, we want to be cool. We don't, we're not sure if we are. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of that going. I think, I think without realizing it, you sort of guard, um, some of the things that you talk about or yeah. you're like, I don't want to make this positive because that's just not a cool feeling to, you know, I, I think, I think in a lot of ways we're over that. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, the other thing I think is that we career wise, everything used to be just so, um, high stress. It always felt like this was life or death. This next record you're going to make is the defining moment or, or you have to go home. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it always felt like that. And I don't think any of us feel like that now. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? We all kind of have identities outside of what this is. We still love it. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and obviously I, I think it's, it makes us more creative, but there's just not that pressure. Um, so I would say that's where it kind of like, let, we could talk about the good things too. Yeah. Um, somebody said to me, cause I, I, I didn't realize that as I was writing it, that this record was going to have that feeling like a, an easier sort of, I don't know, nicer kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, tone to it. And, yeah. and because I, I really thought all the lyrics were like as heavy as they've ever been. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there is an element to that, just that the band is not, not trying to prove anything. Yeah. Um, you know, we're really just trying to communicate in a vulnerable way. And I think that's where it goes. Well, yeah, obviously you guys, you know, when your first record, if, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was on Atlantic records, which is a, yeah. a, a major label. That has to set an unbelievable amount of pressure and and stakes for an artist at the beginning of their career. You know, a lot of artists don't sign to a major label. A lot of them these days never do. But right. if they do, it's well into their career after they're established. You guys are a young band from, you know, South Carolina. You know, it's not like L.A. or New York. And you sign to Atlantic Records, which is maybe historically on a very short list of the most important record labels yeah. of all time. How did that kind of set for the positive and the negative, the trajectory for your approach artistically to writing songs? Yeah, it had, it had a massive impact 
early on, I would say mostly negative mm. <laughs> um, in the sense <laughs> that we just, we, we really listen to them. We're like, well, they've done all this. These people made Led Zeppelin records. So surely, yeah. you know, it, it's like you go toward that building, it's Aretha Franklin and all this. Like, I was like, this is crazy that we're in here. Yeah. Um, and I think that we tried, they, they even encouraged us early on. I don't think they knew who the band was or why we were, who we were and yeah. all that. Yeah. Um, there was this lot of miscommunication about that. It was like, <laughs> you got, our first record we made in England. You oh, know, wow. Which is a great example of like, they were like, you guys should be more international. You yeah. Know? Um, and just looking back on that, it's just so insane to think about like trying to take these rednecks from South Carolina and be like, Oh, go to, go to London and make a Brit pop record. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel uh, like you and Kings of Leon probably got the same speech around that time of like, yeah, exactly. Hey, you guys are these cool kind of gritty yeah, get, Americana. Get Let's bring you over yeah. to the UK. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's true. I, I, it, it was just a weird a time. And I think it took us a couple records, honestly, to like unpack that. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it felt like to me, the first record that really sounded like our band was outsiders. Hmm. Um, and most bands don't get signed until they found a sound, you know, yeah. it's like but somehow we got signed before we knew what we were. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that, that anyway, that was a negative thing to me. The positive was we got some opportunities that obviously you would never get. And we always set the bar high. It was always like, man, we really got to, you know, we're competing with the rest of the world in music yeah. and we really, um, so, but most of it honestly was negative. I would say if I, you know, I give young bands advice all the time, I love that part of yeah. this thing. Like, um, it's just like, just, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're winging it just like everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That A&R guy, this is his second record he's ever made. Yeah. You know, I don't care if he made a big record, you know, it's like, yeah. Um, so it's always the classic question I think in music is always, you know, who, who was responsible for that thing? Was it the producer or the A&R guy, or is it just the fact that it's Bruce Springsteen? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the boss had something to do with it there. I mean, yeah. Probably maybe had something to do with it. I don't yeah. know. He's got yeah. a pretty good track record. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Man. All right. So what do you, what do you got? We, we just had a uh, Coldplay rush of blood to the head. What do you got? What do you got next on your list there? Uh, I'm going to go black crows. Um, which no one would put on a top five uh, record. I don't think. But. Well, no, I think that that's a really cool choice. Southern Harmony Musical Companion is my was my favorite from that time. Um, I think the soul rock thing was like just what really uh, turned me on to rock and roll at all. It yeah. was these guys playing what was kind of gospel, kind of rock and roll, yeah. kind of you know it. Joe Cocker had done that kind of stuff, and there was a there was a bunch of bands that had kind of dabbled, but it was like this stuff made sense to me. It's mm. Brothers, yeah. Um, the guitar playing was insane, and and they used a lot of piano and organ, yeah. you know, like the very like churchy instruments in yeah. the rock and roll. I thought, yeah. Um, and so I, it was just really natural to me. It's the first rock and roll show I went to where I was like, I bought an electric guitar the next day, yeah. You know, um, and so we still kind of like every time we get to a bridge in a song, we're like, ooh, what would they do right here? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. how do we climb this and like get churchy on it? So. I want to combine, you know, mine with with breaking down the Black Crows a little because, you know, my, my next one on my uh, list, ironically, is the title track from 2009's The Outsiders, which is a great song, but it also, and you had mentioned this, kind of marks what I feel like was was the kind of first major transition point or one of the major transition points where it seems like you guys embraced your regionality and your roots yeah. a little, you know, through yeah. Smoke, A Girl Named Tennessee, you know, those are, that's a black, those are, you know, wouldn't be yeah. out of place on uh, uh, right. for a band for like black crows uh to perform songs like that so you know at what point you know obviously black crows and, and artists like that meant a lot to you at what point did you decide okay you know especially you know with an album like the outsiders we need to start incorporating some of that type of music into what we do yeah i think the the probably the turning point i think on that record was or maybe even right before that, I guess the record before was, um, was washed by the water. Mm. 
Um, and that was like, that seems like a song that people, I mean, it's at this point, people are like, Oh, I remember this, you know, they like assigned that song to us is what the thing they remember. Yeah. But it was a weird song. I remember playing it to the band and they were, I was like, I don't think this is for us, but what do y'all think? Yeah. It was, it was like that. We were so not there yet that, and they just were like, we love this. We should do this. And that yeah. was the first one to me that got on tape. That was like, Oh, this is easier than we thought. Like we don't have to be somebody else. We can yeah. just play the stuff we already know how to play. And we, you know, that comes naturally. Yeah. Um, so I would say that outsiders was like the magic of it to me is it's simplicity. It was, it was not, um, it wasn't as contrived as the other records were. We didn't spend a lot of time on them. The outsiders, the song itself. I think we did three takes in a studio. I mean, wow. You know, so there's no, every, everybody's playing at the same time, even banjos, no overdubs on that. So yeah. it's like, I guess, you know, we just left it on there like that and it became this thing. So I think that was us. It's just simplifying, getting out of our own way a little bit. Yeah. I'm not leaving without a fight. I got my holster around my side. Just cause I'm wrong, it don't make you right. No, you ain't right. Did you feel any, not hesitation, but like self kind of precaution on unveiling those influences to listeners who primarily kind of knew you at that point for more kind of, there were, you know, um, there were hints of it here and there, you know, yeah. uh, but yeah. the, you know, the outsiders opens with, you know, is that a banjo or, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, banjo, yeah. It, you know, th that's the first thing it, going back to, Hey, grab them by the collar right yeah. away. You're like, well, this is going to be a different record than I'm used to right. from them. Were, were, were you guys cautious? Yeah. And I think people, I mean, it's weird if you listen to that when that came out, you know, that was pre yeah. Comfort and Sons. And I just remember the label being like, no rock yeah. band has banjo. Yeah. You can't put yeah. that on there. You know, it's like, which is another reason yeah. you shouldn't listen to them. But just the point was like, it was very, it was a little bit nerve wracking, but saying that we were in an interesting place in our career where we were kind of like, um, I'm not saying we didn't care. We, we certainly cared, but we did, we, we did not think that we mm. had made it mm. in any sort of way. So whatever level like we were on at that time did not feel like a sustainable level. Yeah. It was like, we're going to go the next level or we're not like, we can't yeah. do this. Um, so I think that we had a little bit of like a little bit of a swagger or chip on our shoulder about it. It was like, if we're going to go down, let's go down, you know, doing what yeah. we do um, and see if that works. And we were fortunate enough for it to connect. Did you ever, when I think about you guys, I, I think, you know, you guys are a band that have had a lot of longevity, you know, you, you've kept things fresh, you've had success in a lot of different, uh, you know, demographics and, and markets and regions. When did you feel like you made it? When did you, when did you get comfortable to be like, you know what, man, let's, let's kind of enjoy this or it has that yeah. kind of an evolution? Honestly, you know, the sad part is when we, I think we all had a, a little bit of that feeling. It didn't last very long. It was, it was, uh, you know, we, we, um, you always sort of step those things up. But for me during the outsiders, we made, we toured probably at least three times, maybe four times the whole country on that same record mm. in a period of like two years. Yeah. So it went from, you know, in Nashville, we were playing like exit in, you know, and to play in the Ryman in the same like cycle of yeah. a thing. And that to us was mind blowing at the time we had been doing that for so, you know, it'd been seven or eight years. We're playing clubs, you know, um, that are three, 400 people or less, you know, and just grinding so hard. And all of a sudden you're playing the rhyme. And it's like, um, what that, that definitely felt like we had made it to a different sort of level than, you know, we had ever been at before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then, but you know, we also, we, we were never satisfied in some ways. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that we much, I think I am much more these days than I was then, but just, we went out and tour with Taylor Swift and, you know, that was like a knock up the side of the head, I think of us being like, whoa, maybe we should be playing stadiums. You yeah, know, it's like, yeah. There's always That'll someone do it. Yeah. a lot <laughs> bigger than you, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, and that's a real sad thing. I think us looking back, I think all of us look at that period and just go like, man, we were, what were we thinking? Like we had really messed up our priorities to where yeah. that became something that we were like, well, we felt bad that we weren't, you know, we didn't have two planes or whatever it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I think we've grown a lot since then. Yeah. All right. So, so, uh, Black Rose, uh, the Southern Harmony musical companion, a uh, great, real quick, before we jump to the next one, any, any standout tracks you want us to play a little clip from? Uh, Thorn in my pride. All right. Let's hear it.
real quick, Bear, what jumps out uh, to you about Thorn in My Pride? Uh, it's the, the, there's a piano build in the middle of that song. It breaks all the way down yeah. and it's best live song I've ever seen played, um, in person. So, um, I think that's the one it's always been, it's probably my favorite song of all time. Wow. That's awesome, man. All right. What do you got? What do you got next on your list? Uh, I've got Delta spirit history from below. Okay. I, I'm not, you're going to have to educate me on this one. I, I, I'm not super familiar with Delta spirit. Okay, Tell cool. me about it. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, they made several good records in a row. Um, and that, uh, that we all love were really influential to us. I think this record was probably the most influential on, um, the reckoning. Mm. Um, you know, we, you were saying that the reckoning feels gritty and all those things. Like this was an indie band from California. Um, very like gritty voice and, but the production and stuff it, is, it's still amazing to me. I go back and listen, there's a song called Bushwick Blues on there that we probably ripped the beat on that song, you know, 15 times since. Um, it's one of those, every time you go back, you're like, man, that is as tough as I thought it was. Yeah. Um, but it was a lot of like Tom beats and stuff like that, like uh, in a more modern way. It's hard to explain, but it's a more modern way than sort of like, you know, there like a good example might be Jet. Remember the big yeah, Jet? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like that kind of like caveman yeah. sort of. But these were more like Tom It's like had that like trash canny sort of yeah, feeling. Yeah. There was a bunch of bands that came, in my opinion, came after that that did stuff like that. Um, but I, I just thought that was stuff was amazing. And it was probably where we started to be like open to reverb. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think Southerners are like, really, yeah. you know, we're like, I don't know yeah. about that reverb. Um, <laughs> so I think for us, it was the first time we're like, I like the way they're using that on the harmonies and stuff like that. And we can kind of like, I think we maybe can delve into that a little bit. All the other guys that you see. Well, what's interesting too, because it kind of also demonstrates sort of the interesting relationship that I feel like you guys have had to kind of like indie rock and indie pop. And, you know, mm-hmm. early on, you know, Daylight was, you know, was kind of an indie rockish album, you know, yeah. like I, I feel like, you know, you, you could, it could fit different songs, fit in different genres. Um, but it seems like now some of those indie rock sensibilities, especially kind of the indie pop stuff, has circled back when you listen to Out of Body. Like some Definitely. of that's like th- th- this sounds like really smart indie pop. When when what was it that made you get? Was it just listening to bands like Delta Spirit? There's like, hey, maybe Reverb, maybe a little uh, this kind of yeah. uh, garage band type of feel will be good to incorporate. Do you remember that? What kind of sparked it? Yeah, yeah, I think I think. Honestly, I think we got a little bit, we were, we became a little bit better musicians. I mean, (laughs) you know, that's like the, that's the blessing and the curse of, of, you know, a band's longevity, in my opinion, like the longer they do it, the more kind of like in their head they get or whatever. But we were really, um, I tell people that all the time, like we're not, it wasn't, we weren't great musicians really. It was just, um, you know, you could probably look at a bunch of other bands, like a Stones or something like that, where it's like, you know, this, they're just playing the beats. They're playing the guitars and like, it's more about the swag than it is the, you know? Yeah. So I think as we sort of started figuring that out, we started appreciating other music more. Um, and we probably always were, you know, we've said this forever. And I think this is probably true with most bands. We were all of the stuff we listened to was way left of where mm. we ended up landing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so I think that, I think that's a good thing. I think it's something gives you something to draw on. Obviously if you're just listening to the radio or whatever it is, um, it just kind of, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a little bit homogenous. Yeah. Um, so I think that we've always drawn on that. It's like, what's the weirdest thing we could bring in now make this song. I need to breathe song. Yeah. That's very cool, man. Well, uh, okay. So my, my next one, uh, you, you alluded to it earlier and I feel bad. So, so I'm going through and I'm going to editing my list on down to five, but trying to take it interesting ways to talk. But I do want to talk about, uh, um, uh, the opener off of, uh, rivers in the wasteland, the song wasteland, which like yep. you said, has a really, you know, kind of gripping first line. I'm the first one to die in line to die when the cavalry comes, but there's another kind of refrain that I wanted to see if you could break down for me. Uh, uh, there's a, a, a where you talk about a greatness that you felt that you once had inside you, but somehow it changed. And it really feels in a lot of ways that that this album, again, this is just from a, a, a listener standpoint. It seems like a tough coming of age album of a recognition yeah. of 
some good things, some negative things, but I think you encapsulate a lot in that line where there's a great, yeah. I, there was a greatness inside of me that somehow it changed. Tell me about yeah. that. And, and, and was it emblematic of, of larger things that were happening kind of with you in the band? Yeah. I mean, that, that was, I mean, I, we've talked about it some, but I mean, that was the most um, troubling, depressing, you know, dark time of the band by far. And, mm. you know, it took us probably, I mean, well over a year to make that record. Um, I mean, I wrote Wasteland in Van Nuys, California. We're out there at Sound City, um, the studio where they had made, you know, Tom Petty records yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and I, uh, I wrote it one night in a, like we were at staying at a Days Inn hotel. It was like kind of a dump, not great. Yeah. You know, sort yeah. of. And we were out there for six weeks and we uh, literally got, I think, three songs from that period. Oh, man. Um, so it just, it was just a really dark time and yeah. it, you know there wasn't a lot of good communication and it was it didn't feel good to go to work and so all that stuff i think played out you know and I, i've said this before wasteland I, I was definitely sort of you know you can call it verbally vomiting on the page in a way like i was writing exactly what i was thinking at the time yeah um and that's what depression does it says well i'm never i'll never be the same as i was i'll i you know this i probably lost it you know all those, all those things were kind of going through and i just let those song things go into the record um there's a really positive line on there it's you know if god's on my side who can be against yeah. me is in there and honestly when i wrote it and this has happened a couple of times in our career i wrote it not as a joke but more like i don't know if i believe this mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, just more like, man, if you can hear what I'm saying and how I feel, it's like, sure, maybe that's true. I hope it's true, but I don't, you know what I mean? There's not yeah. a conviction to the way I sang it. Um, and so it's been, it was really interesting to see how people react to that song later. Cause, cause I think people did feel like some uplifted feeling of like, well, he made it. I can make it. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, <laughs> you know, when I wrote it, I really hadn't made it. I was in a pretty bad spot. I'm the first one in line to die when the cavalry comes. Yeah, it feels like the great divide has already come. Yeah, I'm wasting my way through days, losing youth along the way. Oh, God is on my side. Oh, if God is on my side. Oh, if God is on my side. Who can be against me? I feel like what you were able to do with that particular song was take that feeling and put it into a sound because that it is a heavy song. It, it, yeah. you, you, you say it with a weight that isn't like right. something that just, they write up the Sunday school teacher writes up on the board, right. you know? Right. Yeah. And it was cool. That's a, that was one of the only bright moments of the, of that record was we, we went in and I wrote it in the hotel room. Um, Bo came in like, you know, after I'd written the verses and stuff and he's yeah. like, I think this is good. Um, and we, we cut it the next morning. Oh, wow. So it was very, um, that rarely happens, you know, occasionally it does, but it, it was very raw when I didn't have a chance to think like, is that the way I should say it? Or, yeah. you know, it's just, um, and so anyway, it's one of the ones I'm most proud of and it, I can take no credit for it. It happened to me, you know? Yeah. Well, I, the one other thing I want to ask about that song and kind of that era too is, you know, you guys aren't a band who I feel like have had, you know, openly like a conflicted relationship with faith, but it's certainly been one that's very honest. And there yeah. there are expressions of, you know, not all positive stuff, you know? Yeah. When did you kind of feel, because you, your, your father was in ministry, right? Mm -hmm. Um, when did you kind of feel permission as an artist to express some things that maybe weren't all kind of the, the stuff you hear in Sunday school, but some of it's like, man, this is, this is tough. Yeah. I think, you know, from the beginning, I, I would say we built a band on that premise. I would say it, it was veiled at times yeah. a little bit. It was like, well, let's say that, but let's, is there a better way to say it? It's yeah. not quite as yeah, yeah. heavy. We've all been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, I think I always felt like that. I mean, I do remember, I mean, I think part of my dad being a pastor was, was what made us that way. Hmm. I mean, you just see too much behind the scenes to, to make out like it's all good. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it just, yeah. it just isn't. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, and all these people it's, and it's, I don't have any, it's, I don't have a problem with it. It's people yeah. are just that way. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm one of the, I'm, I believe in depravity, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm, I'm into that idea and that's actually, that's, that makes my faith stronger in my opinion. Yeah. Um, the feeling that I don't have to have it right and I don't have to get it perfect. And I don't, other, I don't have to look at everybody else as if they're going to get it perfect or get it right. Yeah. Um, that was a real relieving thing to me. And I remember around the second record, um, I started listening to Tim Keller a decent amount yeah. from Redeemer in New York. And, and just that whole idea that it gave me permission in some ways, a, a different way to look at like maybe even a different type of, you know, gospel. Yeah. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, I really was like, Whoa, I, I would, I would argue that before that I didn't necessarily totally believe. Hmm. Oh, I was wow. like, I feel something here. Yeah. I know there's some, there's something about that. There's some discrepancies in here. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. I can't get my head around, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that really that was a big change for me where it made it like, um, you know, where faith actually became somewhat cerebral as well, Yeah. you know, yeah. and not just emotional. Um, so anyway, I think that gave me some, 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 uh, license, I guess, to, to start putting that in there. Yeah. And I feel like that, you know, kind of ushered in, uh, hopefully what is a sustainable wave of, of a lot of people approaching their faith that maybe kind of grew up in more dogmatic circumstances where everything was kind of black and white. Here's what you believe. Here's what you don't. But that intellectual approach and embracing doubts to, to kind of see yeah. where if I go down this rabbit hole, where's it going to end up coming out instead of just boarding up the rabbit hole? I feel like it seems like a much more yeah. productive exercise. Yeah. I, I could not agree more. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, a lot of us grew up in that generation yeah. of time where it was just like, I mean, I remember having a, I had a Sunday school class one time. It was like the 40 absolutes of the faith or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I just, and if I read that now, I'm sure that it won't age well. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like <laughs> you don't need to be throwing out a bunch of absolutes. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I think there are very few we need to actually yeah, be worried exactly, about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so uh, no pressure, but the final album, final record on the list. What 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 do you got for us? I got self titled the band. Okay, um, you know I think I think for us, we, I didn't really get into the band until a little bit later. Yeah. I knew a couple songs, um, but I was watching. This was probably around um, around the Outsiders' time. I was watching the Last Waltz for the first time. Okay, I'm in my I'm in my house. You know, I used to live in Seneca, South Carolina, <laughs> middle of nowhere. And I, I'm, I'm just in this little house and I'm in there by myself. And I just started, I started crying like, whoa, this is, um, I think, I think for me, the, the, the way they used harmonies, the way they used rhythm, that sort of like, um, um, it's loose in some ways, but really just brilliantly musical and, yeah. and still Levon is like, you know, almost anything he played on, I, I'm like, I'm way in on that. Yeah. Um, the idea of a drummer singing and playing it, I, it just, it, it works on a groove in a, in a cool way. And so I think the song still stand up. I mean, literally I, I look when I watch the last waltz, I, I'm like, if, if they, if that band played on late night TV tomorrow, yeah, it would be the biggest band in America. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's that incredible. They're that good. Um, and we just don't see a whole lot of that anymore. Um, and so I think I think it's special. Well, you know, what's interesting is that band, that album, looking at the exact date, was, yeah, right before the 1970, 1969. And the, the 70s, you know, that was really on the cusp of some major changes with music where music was no longer just being written to be inserted into a top 40 playlist. And I'm not disparaging artists between before 1970. There's a lot of great artists, but commercially music was meant to be sold where the right. band, you know, and kind of their that circle of artists who would collaborate in most notably probably Bob Dylan, you know, that didn't seem overly concerned with just making something commercial. It sound, it was like, well, no, well, we're doing our thing here, man. We're doing something yeah. different and cool. You know, how much do bands from that era, how much do they influence you with that kind of spirit that that 1970? I think a lot. You know, it's funny. Like, so, you know, the record that I talked about that vaguely that we can't announce yet, um, that we <laughs> that was really inspired by this idea of, you know, in a house. And I think we've always kind of um, like that. But that's that's the way they tracked, you know, just yeah. get in there. Let's talk about it in the morning and and then we'll hang out and, you know, sit by the fire at night. And yeah. We're like, wouldn't that be amazing if record actually, you know, could. And and luckily, you know, because of technology, that's become way easier. Yeah. You know, studios are much more mobile. And and so anyway, we that that was that inspired kind of where the where the band is headed. 
Um, and and I think because of that, just just like if you're going to make a song in a day, you just don't have too much time to overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like well, I, I told the band we went into it um, in this house to make a record. I was like. I was like, our standards are normally, you know, right here. We just need to make sure they come down a couple notches. Yeah. <laughs> just make sure the feeling is there. Yeah. And let's yeah. move on, you know? Yeah. Um, and and so, yeah, I think we look back at that. And, I, and I'm always jealous of that. When, when one of those records comes on the radio now, on any kind of modern radio, it just jumps out because it's full of life. Like, it's not it's not on a click and it's not all, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Just yeah. like, it's not all ones and zeros. Yeah. You hear it come out, you're like, whoa, that sounds insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I, yeah, we still listen to stuff like that for sure. Well, it's funny. You know, I was an editor for a long time. I would tell writers basically the same thing. Don't let perfect be the enemy of great because perfect, yeah. you're never going to turn out. But great is achievable. But it's never going to be great if you keep second guessing everything. Sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're listening to an album, you got to hear the chair creak that the guy's sitting in. You got to hear right, that yeah. cough off yeah. mic, you know, you got to hear yeah, that totally. thing fall you, you, because it ca- it feels alive. It doesn't feel like, to your point, something that, you know, some you know engineer in a room that looks like it's the nasa command center turned right. out you know that's perfect Moved it a little bit <laughs> yeah you know what i mean it's like dude i want to hear rock and roll man like rock and yeah, roll's a little dirty sometimes the band. Yeah. i know the band's good yeah it's, you know the problem is that it's always it's such a tough time thing to do it really is like to make those live records that are live take records sound yeah. good because you know studios aren't built like they used to be yeah. and engineers don't have the patience that they used to have. Yeah. <laughs> You've got it's, it's a very different process, you know, yeah. so to get it really is about the team. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, it's it's hard I would tell any artist like they, you know, you have a lot of people speaking into your situation and labels and management and all this stuff and and not that they don't matter because they're probably the, the biggest people on your team, your biggest, you know, cheerleaders, but the less people you can have in the room when you're doing it the better. Yeah. You know I mean, everybody agreeing like, Hey, if this feels good, we're doing it. Yeah. And that's it. Like, and we're moving on we're not going to, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, I, that went through a phase when I was probably like 15 where I got, it was like in a skateboarding and bought all these, you know, we'd go buy all these weird punk albums and it was the same thing, man. It was like, if one track would always have, you could hear the sound of like an old crappy tube amp being turned on and warmed up. You know, that pop, that sound. And and then at least one track is going to be counted off live on the record with drumsticks. You're like, okay, I needed a little of this. Like it's fun listening to the polished stuff, but this is cool. Yeah, exactly. All right, so my final uh, and and again, dude, I was I was tempted to go back and and do some deep cuts, but I want to shout out Wilder Woods, your your solo project, uh, particularly the song "Supply and Demand." Now, what's interesting about this for uh, you know for people who may not know the full story is when when you were first releasing some of the music under Wilder Woods, there's a bit of ambiguity about your identity, and people were right. guessing who you were. You know, I think when you hear it, I, I now I can recognize your voice, but I was but it's got this kind of Motown flair. You know. Here, Here's a clip of the song. When you're running low on that goal, maybe I can hold you tight. Try a little supply and demand. Try a little supply and demand. When the night's too much and we need a touch, maybe I can kiss you right. Try a little supply and demand. Just try a little supply and demand. Baby, tell me what you want. It definitely kind of has that soul. I hear a little Motown. The guitar sound is a little. It's more of that kind of bubble. It sounds like a more Rickenbackery, you know, that right, kind of bubbly, like yeah. uh, cool sound. Um, you know, why did you want to release it under that kind of veil of mystery initially? Yeah, it, it honestly was really. I didn't think of it as like as much of a mystery as it ended up being. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because there um, were yeah, there was internet like oh, treasure know, hunts to try to figure yeah. out who. I mean, oh, I think I the, the 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 leading the choice was like, is this is this Billy Eilish's brother who's yeah, like exactly. the producer? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, um, it was really funny because I, I the, honestly just did it. We were on a tour at the time. We were on an acoustic tour at the time, and I needed the music come out. Come out. We hit. We added a third leg to the need to breathe thing. 
you know, and it was like, oh crap, now I can't put this out in that time. Well, I need to put the music out, but I can't, I don't want to like, you know, compete with need to breathe promoting things and whatever. It was all about. So it honestly was just literally like, I can't, I can't tell him it's me yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it became this, like, it was so intentional. He's being really, you know, being shady. He's like, you know, it wasn't really like that, honestly. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is that, you know, the record, obviously tons of need to breathe fans, you know, listen to it. And some of them liked it and some of them did. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it wasn't really for that. You yeah. know what I mean? It was yeah. like, it was like, I really want to carve out some different thing and I need to go too far at first and then figure out like where my sweet point is. And that, that's really the process that need to breathe went through, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I feel like that, I think I'm, I'm starting to put some stuff out now that is settling a little bit back, like somewhere in the middle of all that, yeah. you know, it sells a little bit more like me. Yeah. Um, so, but it was, it was a, a really fun and exciting, you know, thing to do and get to work with new mus- musicians and stuff like that. And, uh, honestly, we made that record in like 12 days, I think. Oh, um, wow. Well, it doesn't so, show. Yeah. I was going to say, it yeah. sounds super clean. Like all the, like you I said, think, the, the sound t- sounds super intentional, That you were going for yeah. a vibe and well, nailed I mean, it, you know? Yeah, we were, I mean, obviously we just took in a, a total different set of, of influences than I ever have on a band record. Um, it's all this like Isaac Hayes and all this stuff. Yeah. It's like what we were putting up, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it's a really fun record. Well, dude, I, hey, man, it, the not just that record, the whole catalog, dude. I've I've really enjoyed. It's fun doing this uh, deep dive to to hear to hear some of the background on the songs. It's fun hearing some of the records that inspired them. Bear, I appreciate you coming on, man. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. Enjoy yeah. It. So the the new live album comes out April sixteenth, and I won't say any. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but uh, maybe follow you at Wilder Woods right on social for any updates yeah, about anything who knows what it could be coming out uh at some point that's it okay i'll I'll leave it ambiguous like that bear thanks man yeah of course man thank you all right everyone that is it for this episode of listed on the ironclad content network hey if you like the show i know every podcast has to do it but it really does help if you like the show leave a rating and review i really appreciate it all right guys we'll see you next time